Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for uh, giving us the opportunity to minister, to, to serve, to taste more of your glory. And Father, as we continue our discussions, we just again plead for your presence. We need your Holy Spirit. We desire you in our hearts and we desire you in our minds, directing our thoughts and inspiring us to the work you would have us do. We thank you that you will fulfill your promise that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, meeting needs, reflecting Christ. Ultimately, what we want to do is give the world a revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we meet their needs, this is one of the ways that we can really, truly reveal Christ. And as we saw at a quote earlier, that we actually interpret the gospel by meeting people's needs. So let's talk a little bit about needs. Now, this is one construct. It's called the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It was developed by Abraham Maslow, who's a psychologist um, in the 40s. He developed it a little bit more um, following that time. But he found that human beings have needs. Well, that's not earth-shattering news, right, to anybody. But not only that, but he was able to categorize them. Now, when we put things in categories, it doesn't put things in boxes in reality. This is just a framework for, for us to help us understand so that we can understand how people work and so then we can then understand how best to reach them. One of my favorite quotes from Ellen White is that she says, to deal with human minds is the nicest of work. That's such a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And it, there's a lot that goes into it. It means that we have to put a lot of effort and thought and heart and soul when we deal with human minds. And part of that is understanding how we work. Now, I believe God wired us, our brains. He forms the, the physiology. So he determines the psychology in there as well. So we need to understand, use these tools, and of course, bring in our Christian, our Adventist understanding uh, so that we are truly getting heaven's message about how people work so that we can best reach them. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it describes, he began by using this to describe patterns of human motivation. What motivates people? What drives them to do certain things, to achieve things, to have goals, to have desires? And interestingly is Maslow, instead of studying those who were ill, mentally or emotionally had illnesses, he actually studied very successful people. Um, he, in, in one, uh, one process of studies, he actually looked at the top 1% of college students. So he was looking at high-functioning individuals to determine what drives them what causes them, leads them to do things. 
So he came up with these five different categories of needs. And it just so happens that at the bottom of the triangle, these are the most basic needs. And in a way, individuals have to work up the ladder. Unless their most basic needs are met at the bottom, they're not necessarily going to strive for the higher needs, those secondary needs. So this helps us to understand why an individual who really needs um, you know, something more meaningful in their life may not be seeking for it because they're just trying to survive. They're trying to make their way in the world. You know, a, a teenager, they're trying to gain acceptance. They're not worried about, you know, my 10 years down the line, I'm going to have diabetes if I drink sodas. You know, they're not thinking about those types of things. They're there are other more immediate needs for them. And so we need to understand that these are the processes going on in our own minds. And if we even think of ourselves, maybe we would find that sometimes we're not driven for certain things to meet certain needs because we're overwhelmed with other more immediate needs too. So let's take a look at each of these needs <clears throat> a little bit more in detail. So the bottom, physiological needs. Basically, these are the what is needed for survival. In order for our body to make it to the next day, the next week, we need these to survival. So water, food, um, shelter. The basics of what you might learn in a survival course. If you were out in the desert somewhere, you know, what do you need and how do you get it? Your body cannot function without these. After a while, if you don't have water, if you don't have air, if you don't have food, your body will cease to function, right? So it makes sense that this would be a primary need. Now, because we are talking in a context of missionary work, medical missionary work. Something that we also want to consider is how do we not only help people meet these needs, if this is their primary concern, for example, the homeless, uh, children who don't have secure food, elderly, who are uh, have a difficult time eating you know all of these different things but not only do we want to help them reach those physical needs but how can we also help them understand that these are actually tied to some spiritual needs as well and in fact maybe we can help by helping them understand that the physical needs are a tool that Christ wants them to use to see that they need him. Okay, does that make sense? Let's let's take a look. Nehemiah 9 verses 20 and 21. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. What are those? 
basic physiological needs. And what is the context that Nehemiah is talking about right here? Well, let's read for verse 21. Yea, 40 years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. In fact, even their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. As we open up the word of God to individuals and we show them the stories in the Bible, these are simple stories that many of us learned as children. But it's amazing how many people in the world have never heard these stories. But as we share just the simple two verses with them, what does that make them think about in terms of their actual physical needs, their water? Well, if God could do that in the wilderness for 40 years, can't he help me? Now, as we have these kinds of conversations with them, we also want to be careful that we're not minimizing the actual physical need. We don't want them to think that, well, I'm just going to leave here and God is going to give me the water and that's that. You know, we need to help them be very understanding about this, that God is telling them that, yes, he can supply all their needs. Uh, I'll share a, a short personal story of mine. When I was in, in um, graduate school, you know, as a student, you don't have a whole lot of money coming your way. And so there are times where you actually do wonder, where is my next meal going to come from? And um, I actually have very supportive family, but I made it a point at a certain time that I was not going to ask them for help because I wanted to be independent. It's part of, partly that, but also I wanted to say, okay, Lord, I want you to prove to me that number one, I'm here because you wanted me here. And number two, you can fulfill these promises for me too. And there was one particular time where I had nothing in the refrigerator. I didn't have money to go shopping or anything. And I prayed and almost just a few minutes after I got, off, got up off my knees, I had a friend call me. Angie, are you home? We just harvested a lot of vegetables from our garden and we want to give you some. And they gave me enough to last me about three weeks. So, you see, God does really work that way. And we need to inspire faith in people that their physical needs can be met. So, if God can do this in history, then the same God is alive today and he wants to meet their needs today as well. These are some ways of forming those bridges between, uh, you know, um, as we're sharing with people about health, mess health uh, information, something like this, we may not necessarily have to say to them as overtly as I'm saying to you, but the Holy Spirit is working in their minds. If we were to share this story to someone who right now has nothing in their cabinets, 
and they hear this story, in their mind the spirit is saying, I can meet your need too. Okay, so we can use these tools, these stories, to help bridge between their needs and the power that God has and what he wants to do in their lives. Okay, so those are physiological needs. The next level is safety, the need for safety. Now certainly, I think this has become heightened interest in the past decade or so, hasn't it? Safety has almost become the primary need. And, uh, and certainly we know that people sacrifice a lot for safety. But safety is one of those important needs, physical safety. Safety from war, from disaster, from abuse, from violence. What about economic and financial safety? That's, both of those are tied together actually quite a bit. And then health and well-being, and that includes emotional. That includes, uh, um, you know, your physical health, but also your emotional health. And so people want safety in these areas. They want to know that they're going to be healthy and happy and live a long life and not face the diseases that their family members have faced. And again, this is an opportunity because we have the tools, the education to help them get there. So it's an opportunity for us to really share with them how to do that. But not only that, again, Psalm 91, that entire chapter is about safety. But just the last few verses, because he had set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Look at the, the love language there that God is bringing in. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, when it comes to issues such as abuse or neglect, situations where individuals have not felt safe in their families, in their own homes, in their workplaces, where there has been this, this emotional trauma that has afflicted him, we can also share with them in the Bible how God has a plan for that as well. Um, I put on here Revelation 6, 9 through 11, the fifth seal. This, this is um, a heart-wrenching uh, portrayal of what's happening. Here, when the fifth seal is opened, John here sees under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. And they cry out to God and they cry out and they say, how long, how long will you not judge and make right? And God says to them, rest a little while until I have delivered those that will be killed like you too. But rest a little while. We need to give people hope Now, um, 
we also have the opportunity of sharing with them the suffering that Christ went through, that God himself, God the Father, went through for their sakes. And that is another way to open their hearts, to help them understand that they are not alone, that God knows exactly what they're going through. He went there. He faced it all. He faced abuse. He faced mockery. He knows what it's like to be left naked. He knows what it's like to be uh, distrusted by your own family members. He knows what it's like to be alone when you're surrounded by people. God knows, and he wants to minister to them. And that leads us to the next one, love and belonging. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to feel like they belong somewhere. They belong to someone. This is a huge motivator, isn't it? And oftentimes people make mistakes. But we can share with them that there's still hope. There's still redemption. People want to have interpersonal relationships, feeling like they belong. <clears throat> so part of, again, health ministry is forming those relationships with people. I've heard it said that uh, in order to feel like you actually belong somewhere, you need to know seven people. I think that the context is in the church. In order to actually belong to a church, you have to have a close relationship with at least seven people. How many people walk in and out of our doors and say, well, I just didn't, nobody talked to me, so why should I go back? Right? It's not uncommon, unfortunately, but it, it happens. So we need to make sure that we're making those relationships. And by the way, this tells us that health ministry is not just about what do I eat, exercise, and sleep. There's so much more involved in health ministry, true health ministry, that we cannot neglect these parts. Okay, I love this, I love this, because what better way to show love and belonging than through the great controversy? Isn't that right? This is what the great, contro great controversy really reveals. Patriarchs and prophets, the very first words of our great story of redemption series, God is love. His nature, his law is love. It ever has been, it ever will be. The high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose ways are everlasting, changeth not. With him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is love. It's the very first thing he wants people to know about him. But not only that, great controversy. Uh, the very last book of our History of Redemption series, page 678, the very last paragraph, it says, 
the great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. From the beginning to the very end, God is declaring, I love you. And too many people are living and dying not knowing this. And they feel alone and rejected. And when they cry out, where is God? Who's there to tell them? Who's there to show? We can introduce to them the great controversy because it's all about God's love. The next need is esteem. The need to feel respected. You know, it's one thing if you belong to a group of people. It's another thing if you like being with them and if they like you being with them too. We all want to feel that they really have value for me. I'm not here just because it's the mission of their church to have me here. I'm here because they value me. I'm important to them. They, they like talking to me. They like hearing what I have to say, even though sometimes it's kind of crazy, but still, they'll sit there and they'll laugh with me and they'll enjoy my company. Now, Maslow identified two different types of esteem needs. One, which was the lower esteem, which is basically wanting others to feel good about you. And then the higher type of esteem, which is feeling good about yourself, okay? And don't we see that with people? Certainly, they want, you know, we want other people to, to feel good about us but we also want to have a sense of accomplishment in our own lives. Of course, with any of these, there's the danger of going to extremes and being very self-focused and self-serving. But there's also the opportunity of using these for the benefit of others. I want to gain an education so I can be confident as I share with people. I want to really understand this so that when someone asks me a question, I, I'm not afraid to tell them. You know, there, so there's a good motivation and a bad motivation. It can go either way. So we need to use these and capitalize on these. So, esteem. There's so many verses in the Bible about this, about how God thinks of us. And ultimately, we want people to have the, the, the knowledge that God highly values them. The value of a soul, how much is it? 
John 15, 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. God wants to call us friend. And how much value that puts on a person to think that God is their friend. The highest need, according to Maslow, is self-actualization, realizing one's full potential. Now, wow, this one's a loaded one. We could spend a lot of time on this one. But I want to draw us to the very beginning, because this is where God identified his perfect plan for us. Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion. God wanted humans not to have come from these lower life forms that you know, are gone in a few years and had no other impact than ruining the environment. God created us with value, with purpose, and ultimately what we are to do, this is the mission of the Adventist Church, is to bring back humanity into the place where God, God's image is recreated in them. This is the special message for this time. And how does health work into this? How does health play into this? Does it? Do we know how? It's interesting that in Genesis, I didn't put the other verses down here, but when God created man, he made, the, he made us in his image then he gave us a work to do. He said, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, replenish the earth. And then he told us what to eat. So he gave us life, he gave us a purpose, and then he gave us the sustenance we need in order to achieve that purpose. And so knowing how to best keep our body in health to achieve that health so that we may obtain to his purpose for us is certainly the health message, isn't it? Okay. The other, so those were the, the stages, uh, I'm sorry, those are the, the hierarchy of needs. And certainly we see in all of them how the health work, how health ministry has a role in reaching the needs and reflecting Christ. The other thing that we want to briefly touch upon are the stages of change. Because what we're, the challenge for us for any health work is how do we help people go from habits that have been destructive to them and how do we get them to develop healthy habits 
Because we're talking about lifestyle changes, aren't we? We're not just talking about one day of this crash healthy diet, but when you leave here, you can go back to eating everything you want. No, we're talking about how do we help them actually get to where this is part of their lifestyle. And so understanding the, cha the stages of change that individuals go through is important. And <clears throat> this is what's called the trans-theoretical model of behavior change, is what we need to do is lead people through these different stages. Some people that we meet may be in pre-contemplation. They are really not thinking that, that they need to change. They're, they're really okay with what's going on with their life. They're not necessarily ready to make any changes. And so they may not be the ones we want to focus a lot of attention on because they're not quite there yet. Now, if we see glimmers of hope, what we may want to do is try to work with them to get them to the next stage, which is contemplation. Often, individuals who have a health problem, they've just been diagnosed with something, they're on new medications, the medications are, getting are, are, getting, are increasing, uh, they're getting more expensive, or a family member just passed away, or a coworker, a young coworker had a heart attack, and so they awaken. Wow, what about me? What could happen to me? So they're starting to think, what do I need to do? And so they're in the contemplation chain, uh, phase, and those are the ones that really are eager to get information. They may not be ready to actually start implementing, but they're looking for information. They want to know, what, what's the potential for me? What's my risk? What's, and what can I do to decrease my risk? Maybe I'll do some of those things, but I just want to know. And then those who are in preparation, they're actively learning. They're actively trying to obtain the skills they're the ones who are coming to your classes. They're real. They're ready. Tell me, what am I? I am. Let's do this. We're going to make this change. And then, of course, those who are in the action stage, they're actively doing it. The, everything you tell them, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to uh, start eating more broccoli. They're they're going. They're acti actively making those changes in their lifestyle. Now, at any point, they can revert back to a previous stage. And we don't necessarily want them to, want them to go that direction, but it can happen. So we want to pay attention to some of those cues again, reading their language and their behavior. Where are they? Are they reversing? Are they at, in danger of reverting backwards? And sometimes if they do, it just may mean that they're not quite ready yet to make those changes. And so we need to be patient with them. Keep them on your prayer list. But we don't necessarily want to exert too much effort when they are not ready. Because we may push them away. So read those cues. Now, very important that we also recognize that there's a maintenance phase. Because once a person 
stops eating ice cream every day, whatever it is. But guess what? Their family eats ice cream every night before bed. How are they going to maintain that new resolve that they have? We need to know that those are challenges that they're facing so that we can help support them. We need to know what is their family life like. Build those relationships so that we're there to support them. Sometimes, especially if, if they're breaking an addiction, they may have to remove themselves from friends and family members. And so we need to then surround them with new friends and family members. Otherwise, we may lose them again. So these are all very important parts of our health ministry that we need to be aware of and be planning for and certainly be watching for the cues in the people that we're working with. Christ also talks about stages in the Bible. In Mark 4, verse 28, the stages of growth, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. And what you give to the blade in order for that blade to grow is different than what you do with the full corn in the ear. We need to adapt ourselves to where they are to really have an effective, long-lasting impact. We need to follow their stages. It's just like helping a child grow. When they are two months old, you treat them very differently from when they're four years old, from when they are seven, from when they are 15 from when they are 33. There may be some similarities sometimes, <laughs> but we treat them very differently. We reach them in different ways as well. So we need to be aware of what stage are they in so that we're providing the best for them. Now, that's the end of our slides here. So what I want to do um, is just share with you, and I have some material here that, I'm, uh, that are for you. Uh, these are some of the resources that we have available through the North America Division. I will say that we need to develop more, and we certainly want to do that, and we will be working on more things. But I want to at least share with you what we have very quickly. First of all, I do want to let you know, and I'm just going to, if you could just take one and hand them back. We do have a health summit, which is a weekend training. And we do have this almost every year. Uh, this year, we are going to Canada near Vancouver. And um, some excitement there. It's a beautiful location at Camp Hope. The dates are September 28 through October 2. Uh, we are, there's on the back a list of workshops. We have a lot of individuals coming to help provide training, education, resources. You'll see the list here. And if you go to the website, which is nadhealthsummit.com, You'll find all the details there. You'll find out who the speakers are, the detailed schedule, uh, the, the prices, transportation, all of those kinds of details. Uh, so I highly recommend that 
especially for our health ministry leaders or individuals interested in gaining new resources, networking with others who are doing health ministry, I really recommend that you come. Our theme for this year, meeting needs reflecting Christ. It's no coincidence. It's what we need to focus on. How do we meet needs? How do we reflect Christ in our health ministry work? So, um, so please take that. If we need more, we do have some here. I also have, um, I want to share with you, you know, one of the, the focuses of the health ministries for the past few years has been on physical activity. So what we have here is a, a little guide. I also have it in Spanish if anybody needs that. Spanish, okay. I have some of these available too. You can take as many copies of these, by the way. But this is a, um, just some, some information on how to get individuals physically active. I especially want to point out Let's Move Day, which is on the back of the brochure. Uh, the date on here is actually from a previous year. The date this year is Sunday, September 18. What we're doing is we're encouraging churches, uh, you know, organizations to have a day of physical activity out in the community, bringing the community into your area, um, helping them get physically active. This year, we, I will be working with the General Conference to actually have a, a health fair, a 5K, a, um, screenings, um, also with Living Well, which is the, the ABC store in the area, to, to do something right there at, at the grounds of the General Conference. So, you know, just get out into the community. This is a great opportunity to demonstrate to the community that you care for their health. We also have here a toolkit. I think I have enough for everybody here. This is a lot more information, but you're welcome to take one of these as well on how to, there's a lot more details in here, such as putting a team of people together, uh, working with the community, different challenges. Part of Let's Move Day and part of In Step for Life, which is what we call this, is we also have um, awards that you can download and print for individuals. We also have an iPhone app that you can download for free to track steps. And for this year, the Adventist Church has a goal of reaching two million miles. And so if you are active, we would love for you to go to adventistinstepforlife.org and actually log your steps on there or physical activity, swimming, biking, whatever it is. You can put your physical activity in there and it will tell you how many miles equivalent that is. And so we really want you to log that in there so that we can keep each other encouraged and see how we're doing towards reaching our goal of 2 million miles. Uh, so there's a phone app for that. You can do it online. You can also print a tracking sheet 
you can print out that sheet and give it to everybody at your church and say, just record your miles and then give this back to me and I'll put all of our totals on there. So however you want to use that, there are a lot of resources there for you. So please do make use of that. Um, we have pedometers that you could purchase. We have t-shirts, you know, all, all sorts of things like that that you could use. Um, I also want to share with you for our nurses. If there are any nurses here, or if you know any nurses, we have what's, what's called Faith Community Nursing. Let me take one of these. Faith Community Nursing is um, a training that's actually approved by the nursing board. You can be certified as a Faith Community Nurse to practice in that way. And what that basically does is it, it's a, a education module that helps you use um, health service as a part of your church's outreach. How do you bridge faith and health nursing? So it's, it's a, um, a great teaching tool. We have an Adventist association of faith community nurses as well. And so we are developing more ways of networking together, ministering together. Something also that we have is that some of our churches are actually hiring faith community nurses. You know, we hire Bible workers. Maybe we should also hire individuals to do health ministry. So um, some of them are part-time, some are full-time. It's certainly another aspect that we would love to see increase so that we have an advocate for health on the church board. It's the exact same, yes. Parish nursing or faith community nursing, the terms are interchangeable now, yeah. Um, the Westberg Institute provides the training, they've designed the training courses, which we have actually um, brought in our Adventist perspective, and so we also provide training for faith community nurses. But they, they now use the term faith community nurse. The other thing I have here for you is Adventist Recovery Ministry. And you may have heard in the past of Regeneration Ministry, 12-step celebrations. So same principles, but, but in the past few years, uh, the NAD has taken those principles and made it very, very Christ-focused. In fact, in the brochure that we're handing out, you will see that in the center, there's a comparison. Do we need more? There's a comparison here of the 12 steps to recovery, which is uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous model. By the way, if you go to our website, AdventistRecovery.org, you'll see a very interesting history of, the, of Alcoholics Anonymous. You might be surprised at some of the information there. So a comparison of the 12 steps to the biblical model, and then the Steps to Christ chapter that illustrates the same. And so with our recovery ministry, this is uh, basically like a small group uh, program that you could do at your church, in your home. You can, you, we recommend having one meeting a week 
and we have enough materials developed for a year-long worth of recovery uh, meetings. And basically, it's to help people recover from addictions. I just met with some of our folks in, um, in New Hampshire who have a recovery program that's been going on for over a year now and just wonderful stories coming out of there. We have a new group that just started recently in Texas as well. So we really want to see more of these recovery groups grow because addictions are a huge, huge issue in the church as well as outside the church. And so we need to know how to deal with this because this is still a very, very touchy topic. There are still major, major social problems that people face when, they f when somebody finds out that they have some kind of an addiction. So we need to really, really embrace people so that we can help them recover from the addiction. We need to know what it means to love the sinner and hate the sin, right? It is a 12-month, we have 12 months of material produced right now, so for an entire year. Um, now, in order to run this program, we highly recommend that you attend one of our training programs, which we are having at the Health Summit, by the way. Um, the developers of this program will be there to do the training. They are faculty at Andrews University, at Loma Linda, also Dr. Katja Reinhardt, who was previously the NAD Health Ministry Director. Um, they have worked on this material. It's really good material. They will be doing the training at the Health Summit. Um, and we are also available to come to other areas and provide the training as well. So this is a ministry that the NAD wants us to grow. So um, you can find more information on the website, come to the training, contact me if you have more questions. Okay, well those are the materials that I have. We have plenty others. Again, at the Health Summit, we have others who are coming to do trainings on other programs as well. The CHIP will be there, Diabetes Undone, which is a brand new program for diabetes, will be there. Um, so I really encourage you to come and, and learn more. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.